let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, DC has the fourth highest fetal mortality rate in the United States. And while it's mostly Black babies who are dying in the district, it's an issue that says a lot about how resources and care are allotted in the city. Journalist Cantus Montague has been talking to parents who lost children about their experiences and what can be done. Today's Wednesday, February 7th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Candace, thank you for being here. I know you've been reporting on what is a pretty difficult and sad issue in the city, which is infant mortality. It's something that I feel pretty personally about as a Black woman who intends to have a child in the city. And specifically, you've been covering how it affects our community worse than other demographics. What exactly are the numbers showing? Thank you for having me. And uh, first of all, don't be afraid to have a baby. I think you're going to be just fine having a baby. But um, what the statistics are showing in our city is that um, Black families, Black mothers and birthing persons are at a much higher risk of losing their infants uh, in the perinatal stage up until age one. So we have a lot of babies that are, you know, not, not making it to their first birthdays. And so let me start with the good news. The good news is that we have a significant decline in infant mortality in D.C. overall. So whereas in 2015, we were looking at 8.6 deaths for per 1,000 live births. Now in 2020, which is the latest ones that I found, we're looking at 4.5 deaths per 1,000 live births. So it's declining. And I think when when we raise more of awareness about it, I think it will continue to decline. But the sad reality is, is that the infant mortality rates between 2016 and 2020 were three to five times higher among non-Hispanic Black infants compared to Hispanic and compared to non-Hispanic white infants. So that's one statistic that's really startling to me and kind of spurred my interest in this project. Also, the infant mortality rates were and are significantly higher among the mothers and birthing persons who are Black in low-income areas and whose birth were financed by Medicaid. So that's another indicator that you're at risk um, of losing uh, an infant. Those are really some shocking numbers. Is it a problem nationwide or is it particularly bad here in D.C.? This is a problem across the country. If you if people were looking at the statistics in cities where we have high concentrations of black and brown people in neighborhoods, this is a serious issue all across the board. As for in here in D.C., we have in the highest number of infant deaths are in wars five, seven and eight. So between 2019 and 2020, those wards actually accounted for about 61% of all the infant deaths in the city. So it's not unique for D.C. That's interesting. And, and you, you sort of spoke to this a moment ago, but what is it about 
this story that has driven you to want to cover it in the way that you have? I know you've spoken to a lot of these mothers to get their experiences. Uh, what is it about this story that speaks to you? You know, I've been covering uh, Black maternal mortality in the city and nationally, too, uh, for a while now. And I've always had this inkling in the back of my head, like, what about the babies? If we're having mothers that are struggling to get through the pregnancy, how does the outcome look? Like, how are the babies doing when they come out? Are they surviving? Are they healthy? And someone had kind of mentioned something to me years ago about, you know, no one's looking at infant mortality. We're all talking about maternal mortality. And of course, I argue that this is very important that we talk about the maternal mortality. And it is, but we have to remember that there are babies that are attached to these moms and they need to be supported as well. We need to look at their numbers. And um, yeah, that kind of got me going there. And I'm also a mother of two children. I have, you know, I delivered in D.C. I'm a native Washingtonian. And I wanted to make sure that this number and this story, I should say, comes out. So when you talked to some of these parents, what did they share with you about their experiences and ultimately what happened to their to their babies? So when I talked to the parents, most of them had no problems first, the second trimester, um, or even all the way to birth. They were fine. Um, the first parent I talked to, Miss Wakia, she had she was fine the first two trimesters, and then the third trimester, her blood pressure went up, and the doctors were concerned, and uh, she delivered a little early, which is one indicator that you know your baby's at risk because you don't want these babies to uh, be delivered too early. But she had to because of the risk to her health. Baby was fine, but he had to be in the NICU, which is the neonatal intensive care unit at Children's Hospital for 10 months. Um, but he had problems with breathing. He ultimately died from something called necrotizing intercolitis or neck. It affects about one in a thousand premature babies. And she believed more happened behind the scenes that they weren't giving the proper care that she thought her son needed. But ultimately, that was his cause of death. And there were so many other parents that I talked to and the, the conditions and the, the reasons for their death kind of vary. But it comes back to having good prenatal care and making sure that the babies are staying in there as long as possible and, um, you know, having some and good delivery as well. Yeah, I have heard horror stories of honestly, it's a lot of black moms who just don't feel like they are being listened to. They don't feel like they have the access that maybe they need to healthcare in the way that we might expect them to. And so I wonder, like, when you talk to nurses and researchers about why these numbers are so high, is that what you're also hearing? Absolutely. So the quality of care is one reason why we're having some of these problems. Um, but when we look at this issue overall, we want to look at it from a correlation lens as opposed to a causation lens, if that makes any sense. There is no one smoking gun that's like, OK, hey. this is the direct reason why we are having problems with perinatal loss. What happens is there are a lot of correlations that could possibly lead to a, an infant demise. So really, most of it, from my research, leads back to institutional racism. So when I spoke to a birth worker and a researcher who explained the problem to me or explained her perspective about the problem, she said that many of the families that she talked to had a lot of negative interactions at doctor's offices, rude staff, you know, they look at them and look at their address and, you know, treat them differently, brushed doctor's appointments, and, you know, in and out in 15 minutes, and they felt like they didn't get a chance to really express what's wrong, hearing disparaging remarks during their visit, you know, they, that's very discouraging. And so who wants to rush back to get to another appointment like that when they're feeling fine. 
So that's one reason why we're seeing some of this. We already know about the the absence of obstetric wards east of the river. So that means families have to travel farther to get care. I spoke to someone from the March of Dimes, and they had published a study last year about some of the barriers to care for expectant parents. Women and birthing persons who live east of the Anacostia River have to travel six miles or 25 minutes on average to get to a birthing hospital, which wow. is pretty far. You know, when you think about it, it's if you're in if you're in labor, if you're in distress. In Ward 8, there's a, a, an area of the D.C. with some of the highest rates of infant mortality. About 56 percent of the residents don't have access to a vehicle. So you're talking about relying on ride shares or the metro, which is terrible, you know, to get to where you need to be. That's another huge barrier. And we're working on it. I see D.C. trying to do things to help, you know, mitigate this problem. But it's going to be a while before it really makes a big impact. So it sounds like some of these issues are institutional, like larger issues of bias and people not being treated the way they should be treated when they're coming to get health care. But also some of them sound like they are D.C. specific, like East of the River doesn't have the kind of medical facilities they really need to make sure that those folks are being served. Absolutely. And just think about it. If you're a mother or a birthing person who already has a baby or has a child or have a couple of kids and you're trying to manage all of that, your housing, your employment, your interpersonal relationships, all of that can be very difficult to manage while you're trying to bring another baby into the world. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It doesn't surprise me that I know a lot of people that have a lot of trauma around their birth stories. They, you know, are like, I'll never be back to that hospital. I'll never use that doctor again. And it doesn't surprise me hearing some of the stories that you've reported. And I wonder, like, when it comes to this issue and then also finding actual solutions to the issue, when you were reporting this story, was that data clearly available? Like, does the city seem to be aware this is a problem? Do they have solutions they're working out? What was your sense um, having reported on this? I get the sense that they're trying to work on it from the maternal um, health care side. So we have like the Maternal Health Summit every year um, sponsored by the mayor's office. And that's really helpful to bring providers and advocates together to kind of discuss the 
solutions that they feel would be helpful for their clients and for the city. But as far as specifically infant deaths, I'm not seeing a whole lot of concentration on like, let's make sure that we help these babies make it to their first birthday. They just passed um, a, a legislation in early January. So the B25-321, which is the Home Visiting Service Reimbursement Act. It's an act that um, was introduced by Councilmember Nadeau and championed by Councilmember Henderson. And it went through the health committee. Essentially, what it does is provide federal funding through Medicaid to sustain home visits for families. Super important um, uh, strategy there to help parents get through those first couple of weeks, couple of months where they're trying to manage their own care as well as their baby, taking care of things like how is the baby sleeping? How are you sleeping? Where are they sleeping? Things of that nature. Where are you located in the city? Are you able to get to your appointments? Do we need to provide or help you get access to virtual care? So those home visits really kind of help the parents kind of get through those stages of, the, of that baby's first few months. And it's really big help. But as far as other solutions, haven't seen a whole lot. I think we need to really look more at the doulas and midwives for their opinions and input on how to take care of this problem. But then there's also things like taking care of housing and having stable housing, um, being proactive about job opportunities for these parents. Mental health support is super important. Things like that people might not think are important or may not be seen as a solution, but it actually does help overall because you have to think about that baby in a holistic way. You know, you spoke to something that I think about a lot. So I don't have kids, but I, I want to have a child someday here in D.C., hopefully. And one of the things I can never get my head around is how when parents go to the hospital, deliver a baby, go home, you maybe you've just had major surgery, right? Maybe you've been cut open and they're like, here's a screaming, crying, pooping little being that you have to keep alive, even though you've just had surgery. You might not even have parental leave from your job. So you might be at work in just a couple of days. The lack of support that new parents get, it boggles my mind that anybody does it, that, that people continue to have children. And yeah, just like your, your, your stories really make that clear that we need to be doing more for folks that are bringing kids into this world because it's so important. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I say the midwives and doulas really need to be funded, supported, and helped in any way possible because they are the ones that are really on the front lines trying to help those parents once they leave the hospital. I mean, you can call somebody on the phone. That's one thing. But to have someone come into your home and say, hey, I see what you're going through. Here, let me take the baby for a minute. You take a minute to get your breath because you never know. People think that everyone has a family or they have grandma around. And that's not always the case. Some families might have tension and they may not you know, be willing to help out that new mom or new parent with the baby. Especially in a city like D.C. where so many folks are moving around and maybe their families aren't here. They, they're here or something like that. What resources, if any, are available to moms and families who might have lost their babies? That's the other part of my reporting that I found was really sad. And more than one parent told, expressed to me that they didn't feel supported at all or they felt very little support, I should say. They felt that, you know, their family was around to help them get through the grieving process. And friends were, too. But ultimately, people stopped calling, you know, and people kind of tiptoe around them. Like, you don't want to, like, ask, how are you doing? Because they don't want to upset them. And one mom I talked to, she said, you know, I wanted people to talk to me. I wanted to talk about what was going on, but 
Nobody wanted to say anything to me. We do have places like the Wet Center, which is an excellent grief support um, um, organization here in the city. But they only have so many staff members that can do uh, grief support in this realm. Two moms expressed to me, you know, if my child was shot in the city, I'd have all the support in the world. But I lost a child just like that mother who lost the child to violence. So why can't I get the same kind of support? And it really resonated with me that you can't find grief support for these parents. And, you know, people want to like kind of put them aside. Like, I'm sorry you didn't have a baby or I'm sorry your baby didn't make it. But okay, That's so sad. And it's sad to think of these folks being failed institutionally and then also maybe being failed by their the people that they thought were going to be their personal support. And so just sort of being doubly failed. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tough loss to, to weather all by yourself. And maybe people, and I understand, you know, people don't want to upset the, the parent that just lost a baby. You don't want to call and say, hey, you know, how are you doing since the funeral? That might, you know, might not hit so well some days. But it's just helpful to know that you care enough to just say, call or text and just say, how are you doing? I have a feeling that those, the parents would probably appreciate that as opposed to silence. Candace, is there anything that we didn't ask that you want to make sure gets included? I want to add that we need to talk more about stillbirths in D.C. That is a big problem in our city that is largely being ignored, I want to say, because I've seen in the research that Black families are experiencing stillbirths at a rate that's much, much higher than their white and Hispanic counterparts. D.C. has the fourth highest rate of stillbirths in the nation. And yet when I did my research and talked to people, I didn't see anything about education efforts or any campaigns or any offices that deal with educating parents on how you can lose a baby. And I know it's a tough, touchy subject. I know healthcare professionals don't want to like, raise the anxiety of the expected parent. But that's a serious problem that parents need to at least be aware of. The parent that I spoke to who experienced a stillbirth, she didn't know what that was. And she didn't know what she was going through when she was going through it. So she didn't know what to look for. She was experiencing a lot of pain. And she just happened to talk to somebody on the phone at the hospital. And they explained to her, OK, if you see blood, then you should probably come to the hospital. She didn't see blood, but as soon as she hung up the phone, boom, here comes the blood. So D.C., in D.C., we have the Black families are experiencing somewhere between 50 and 60 fetal deaths, which is also known as stillbirths, over the last five years. And that's a lot of infants and fetuses that we're losing here in the city, especially among Black families. So I think there needs to be a lot more effort to educate parents about that and at least say something. Well, Candace, thank you so much for doing this work and educating all of us on this very important issue. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know it's a touchy subject and a lot of people are afraid to, to hit it like it's a third rail topic, but we really have to like talk about the babies we're losing in the city. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. And we'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.